Good evening, Rabble. How are you doing? You had a nice day? Isn't it been lovely weather? Went to the garden this afternoon. I was like, oh, I can actually feel some warmth in the sun. It was gorgeous. Um, my name is Nathan. If I haven't met you before, it is nice to see you. Very warm welcome if you're visiting or if this is your first time. It's great to have you with us. Um, some of you may not have been here a couple of weeks ago when we shared our news that me and Ruth, my wife, who we're currently associate pastors here at the church, are planting a church. So we're leaving. Woo! Yeah, you're leaving. Yeah. Get out. Um, we're going just after Christmas. So uh, January, we hope to move down to sunny Falmouth. Um, down in wonderful Cornwall to start a new vineyard church down there. So we are super excited. Um, so I thought I'd give you a tiny update because I've got the mic. I thought I could. Um, my wife Ruth has a job, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's so flexible that it can basically start as soon as she gets down. Um, but it's not like we have to rush to go down there. Um, and so we've been doing super practical things this week. Um, well, actually, for the last two weeks of September, we've been trying to get our house ready to sell. Um, if any of you have ever moved out of a rented property and ready for the landlord inspection, or if you have ever sold a house, you will feel my pain of having to scrub the walls where the kids have written all over them um, and finding those nooks and crannies that you've never cleaned before. Like we've lived there for nine years, I think, or eight, eight or nine years, and... Um, it's been interesting that I found work surface space that I've literally never seen. Like, it's a different colour to the rest of the work surface because <laughs> there's just always junk in our kitchen. We've got three kids, so uh, it's a pretty hectic lifestyle. One of the most amazing things I did was clean the windows. When was the last time you cleaned your windows? Like, I don't remember ever cleaning my windows. <laughs> I was like, wow, it's really bright in here now. <laughs> Those finger marks do come off if you scrub, uh, and there was lots of those. And um, so the, the other thing which I've shared with you, if you're a small group leader here before, I, we decluttered the house. So we've got three kids, so that's three groups of toys, generally all on the um, lounge floor at the same time. Three kids' bedrooms full of toys. Well, not full of toys, but they just spread everywhere. Um, and so we were, how do we declutter this and make this actually look a big house where you can bring your own stuff in. It's not just full of stuff. So we, um, we decluttered. This is a good life thing, and it's a good practical thing as well. And if you're a small group leader, what the, the trick I've shared before is that you park your car outside, open the boot, and shove everything in there that you don't know what to do with. You, have no, you know there's things in your house that haven't actually got a home. They just live on the side. Well, that all goes in the car. Well, we had to step it up a gear because we were selling our whole house. The small groups generally just come into your lounge, but people were going to be walking around even the shed. Oh, my goodness, walking to our shed. Couldn't get into our shed before last week. So, thankfully, our neighbours had gone away on honeymoon. So I texted them a cheeky WhatsApp and said, any chance I could, we've got your keys, any chance we could use your hallway while you're away? Four or five boxes of stuff and, like, kids' tents, buggies. Like, there's just so much stuff in their hallway at the moment. But our house... Our house looks incredible. So uh, <laughs> and that's the main thing. Theirs is trashed, and ours looks incredible. I did think today, well, if they come back early, we're in so much trouble, but I think we've got another week. So um, anyway, so they, the estate agents came around on Tuesday and took loads of photos. They did one of these, um, it's almost like, you know, on Google Earth when you, or Street View, when you can go and look down the street and double-click it and you moved on. We can do that inside our house. It's so weird. So you can zoom up the stairs and into the loft. And Anyway, so the estate agents said to us, well, you've got it already, it's clean and tidy, would you 
would you consider having a viewing today as well? We're like, well, if it means us getting it clean and tidy less times, then of course we will have a viewing today. And so um, the next morning we had an offer for the full asking price. So uh, it looks like it's sold as well. So this is, it's been a big week. Lots of crazy stuff. And it's all starting to feel very real. And obviously with the housing market and everything can change really quickly. But at the moment, it's all looking good. So if you would pray for us, we would love... Um, we would love that. We're going to go down um, on Friday to look for schools for the kids. So that's a big, a big decision to make, although there don't seem to be that many spaces. So anyway, what's going on? We're going to be carrying on this evening in the series on the book of Acts. We're going to be looking in Acts chapter 2, carrying on. We're going to start in verse 32, but I thought I'd give you a tiny bit of background. So Jesus, you may have heard of him and if you, it's nice to think of the book of Luke and Acts carrying on. They're like one seamless book. So you've got the gospel account of, of um, Luke the doctor, who wrote the book of Luke, and then he wrote Acts as well. And Acts is a continuation of the story of Jesus and his disciples, and what happens after Jesus' death and resurrection, into waiting in Jerusalem, the disciples waiting in the upper room, waiting for the events of the day of Pentecost, when they are so filled by the Holy Spirit. They're given the gift of tongues, which are the supernatural ability to speak in natural and heavenly languages. So all those that were gathered for the Pentecost feast in Jerusalem heard these Galileans, uneducated Galileans, speaking in their own languages. And they thought, what has gone on here? And they said, are these guys drunk? Why are they behaving like this? This is so crazy. So Peter, the amazing apostle Peter, stands up and just explains with this incredible sermon of who Jesus is, why he's so important, and what they must do. So he talks about the act, the infilling, the the, um, pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and he relates it back to the book of Joel in the Old Testament. He said, this was prophesied, and this now is being fulfilled in your very view. And he then goes on to build a case that Jesus was the Messiah. He was Messiah, revealed by the signs and wonders he performed, and confirmed in the fact that he had risen from the dead. And they would have been eyewitnesses to the resurrection. They would have met the risen Jesus and seen him ascend into heaven. I don't know about you, but you could have asked most, I'd love to have had these conversations. Like, did you really meet him? When you hear an eyewitness account of someone has done an incredible feat or seen an incredible event, and you would actually be able to go face to face with someone that said, were you at the crucifixion? Yes, we saw Jesus die. Did then you see Jesus alive? Yes, we did. And for me, the book of Acts is um, proof, an eyewitness account, that the resurrection is true, that Jesus did exist and he did rise from the dead. And tonight we're going to be talking about if that is true, what are the implications? What does that mean to us? Let's turn. Verse 36, if you've got your Bibles, Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 36, just says this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. And this is kind of the pinnacle of his argument, the pinnacle of this preach. Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And this is a knockout blow for the, for, of, out of the whole preach. It's as if the crowd at this point suddenly realized who Jesus was and what they've done in killing him. It says in verse 37, the next verse, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart, and the truth is that they'd rejected the Messiah. And today, we're going to be looking at how the early church established and why it was so fruitful. But you can't get away from this fact. The early church was established on the truth of the gospel, on the truth of who Jesus is 
and how he rose from the dead and what the implications are to us now and to them at that point. And the gospel is another word for good news. You might have heard that before. And when you hear the truth about who Jesus is and what he has done, it moves your heart and it moves your soul. The fact that these people saw Jesus face to face, they'd seen his miracles, the signs and wonders that he performed, they'd heard him preach firsthand, this made the revelation even more profound. But the gospel is true now, just as it was over 2,000 years ago, that the, the story of the gospel is that God loves us so much that he would pursue us that he would send his son to die in our place for all the stuff that we've done that messed our lives up, the stuff that causes us pain and people pain around us, our fears, our disappointments, our selfishness, where we're just living for ourselves and no one else. And the the Bible talks about this whole planet being tainted by sin. This sin has reached into every area of our society. It taints every relationship we have. It talks about the earth groaning, groaning in sin. And the crowd realized then this same truth, that this is amazing news, this news of Jesus, that the death and resurrection of Jesus had made a way for sin to be destroyed, to death to be over, for death to be overcome. The price of our sin, the penalty for our sin, had been absolved, had been resolved on Jesus. This was the incredible news of the gospel, that not only God would provide a sacrifice, but he'd provide his own son as a sacrifice. It's kind of controversial, isn't it? It's not a nice thing. It's kind of sometimes the gospel confronts you with blind truth that you cannot get away from. The amazing story of grace poured out in our lives that we would have life. The Bible literally uses the word, like the phrases, before you were dead in your sin and now you are alive in Christ. You were a slave to sin and now you are free. Um... And so the crowd hear this and they just realize what a humongous mistake they've just made the week before in rejecting this Jesus, rejecting Messiah and shouting for him to be crucified. So verse 37, as I said, it says they were cut to the heart by hearing the gospel. And Peter, they, they turn to Peter and they say, brothers, what should we do? Peter, in light of all of you've just preached and said and spelt out and looked at the Old Testament and revealed who Jesus is, what do we do? Because when you hear the truth of the gospel said clearly it demands a response. It means that we have to do something. It cannot lead to indifference. It cannot have an, you cannot have an attitude of just saying, well, it doesn't make any sense. It's either a complete lie or it's completely true. It's either something to completely reject or it's something to absolutely go for 100%. Because it affects every aspect of your life. And sometimes when we're faced with the kind of inadequacy of our own way of doing life, we realize we need someone to save us. We need someone to intervene in our lives. We need someone to do life with us, and that is Jesus. So verse 38, Peter replies to the crowd, and he says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you and for the forgiveness of your sins. That barrier will be released. That barrier will be taken away. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. For who, all who the Lord has... Who, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. 
And the image used of this word repent, I kind of think of a um, parade ground with soldiers doing that, all these lines in formation, and then they suddenly there's a command, and they switch at that point and just spin on the spot and go 180 degrees and go back the other way. And that's the image of repentance, is your life is going in one direction, you meet Jesus and it turns and it goes in completely the other direction. Completely, a 180 degree course change. Peter says, turn completely away from your old life of sin, where you live for yourself. You were king of your life. And turn to the king and his kingdom. Pursue that. Pursue his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and his glory, rather than your kingdom and your glory. And you'll receive forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Guilt and shame will be taken away. And so far, in this part of Acts, the early church is effectively the upper room group of disciples and followers of Jesus. And this is what it says in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. In one day, 3,000 people. And it makes me think of our newcomer's lunch and how we would do a newcomer's lunch for 3,000 people and how many pizzas you'd have to buy if 3,000 students came to our newcomer's dinner and how many connect cards would be filled out and how many people, how would we baptize that many people? I figured we'd have to get a bigger baptism pool, maybe hire out Mandy Pool or something like that. But what an incredible problem to have. Like, wouldn't that just be the most amazing thing? So suddenly, you have a huge community of new believers following Jesus, working out what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus and a Jew at the same time? And the truth from this passage is the community was formed on the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And they were a community of the cross. And as I mentioned earlier, we're moving down to Falmouth after Christmas. And some of you may ask the question, because I love this story, because this is kind of like, how do you plant a church in the New Testament in Acts 2? We're going to be starting a new church. And you might ask, how do you do that? What do you do first? How do you go about it? Like, do you, is the website the first thing you get done? Is it email addresses? Is it, like, flyers? Do you find a building? Like, what is the first step to do it? And if you've got any answers, please tell me, because it seems like you can do it in lots of different ways. But for me and for Ruth and I that are starting this church, the first thing for us is we have to put the gospel out the center of this church. We've got to put Jesus, the good news of Jesus, at the center. We want to continually be talking about the difference Jesus has made in our life and inviting people to meet Jesus. Because we realize as leaders that we are broken, we are nothing without Jesus and what he's done in our lives. Our lives have no purpose and no direction. We have no power of our own. We only have what God has given us. And the beauty of a church plan of doing this all, taking it all back to day one, is that you have to have the mentality of sharing the gospel and talking about your faith. Because if you don't, you don't have a church. So what's the point if you just get down there, expect people to come and don't actually talk to anyone about who Jesus is? The church has to have Jesus at the center and his, then the gospel of Jesus. But what led this community to be so radical in the way they did life? Because the church has not only the cross at the center, it has the power of God at the center. It has the presence of God through the Holy Spirit at the center as well. The clues in verse 38, Peter says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of the sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The community is a community of the gospel, and it's a community of the Spirit. And when the Spirit of the Lord is there, there's freedom. 
freedom from oppression, from slavery, from fear, from sin, from everything that holds us back from our relationship with, with Jesus. And not only is there freedom, there's power to break those bonds as well. There's power for forgiveness. There's power for people to meet Jesus, to have salvation. There's power for healing. There's power for the gifts to be poured out. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And because he's a person, we don't refer to him as it. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's not a force like in Star Wars, you just shove about and push people over. The Holy Spirit is a beautiful person. And that's why we sometimes invite the Holy Spirit. It's not that God isn't already here. Like, um, I'm not going to get back to my notes. Uh, as Romans 5.5 5 says this, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he's given us. The Holy Spirit is a gift we receive at salvation. The Bible talks about us being sealed with the Spirit. He enters, God, Jesus enters our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the experienced reality of God and it makes it possible for our, us to have a relationship with God. And so you might ask the question, well, why in services do you say, come Holy Spirit? Why would you invite God if he's already here? That is a fantastic question. Because Jesus says, doesn't he, in one of, his, um, in, in one of the Gospels, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be also. What we're doing when we're saying, come Holy Spirit, isn't saying, God, you can now come, we give you permission. Because we can't tell God what to do, that would be ridiculous. We say, come Holy Spirit, because we're acknowledging that Jesus is in the room and we're just asking for more and more of him. We're petitioning to say more of your way, Lord Jesus, in our lives personally. Lord, would you highlight to me like the areas in my life that need attention? Where am I falling short? Holy Spirit, would you just let me know now? And that's what we're doing when we're saying, come Holy Spirit. We're saying, you have permission, Lord God. Enter our lives and turn us upside down. And that might be in a service like this. It might be in your small groups where you just say, let's just invite the Holy Spirit and see what God wants to do. Or it might be just when you're worshipping in your car or when you're just, I don't know, listening to, got your headphones on. It may be, and especially when you're reading the scriptures. The prayer, come Holy Spirit, could not be more important when you're opening your Bible because you're asking the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus in the words of the Bible. There's an incredible... This is going to mess the media team up because I'm going to jump this verse forward. So in John chapter 15 and verse uh, 26, Jesus just says this about the work of the Holy Spirit. He talk, the Holy Spirit is called the counselor in this verse. He just says this, John 15, 26, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from me, from the Father, he will testify about me. I'm going to leave it there. Do verse 27 later. Oh, cliffhanger. Yeah, so we're saying to God, more of you and less of me. So this community of believers was pretty radical. If you read verse 44 to 46, it just says this. This is a picture of the community of the early church. It just says this. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. As in, there was no division. There was no fighting. They had a common good. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So communion, the Lord's Supper was at the center of this. Prayer, worship, community time was at the center of this as well. And what you find in this community is a, is a, is a people group so impacted by the gospel that it changes every aspect of their lives. 
It doesn't say in verse 44, they continue doing as they did before. I'm guessing this wasn't standard behavior. Verse 44 to 46 just says, they were so transformed by the gospel that it affected the way they did their lives. And when I read this passage, it makes me think it's just like a heavenly, a glimpse of heaven. It's like a heavenly community. Everything was right. They had peace. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. There was no material needs because they shared everything they had. And for me, this is an image of the kingdom of God. It's a community living out of the reality that they had been forgiven. And ultimately, they knew exactly what their identity was in Christ. They'd been reconciled to their creator, God. And this was the ultimate will of God that this community would exist. A, a community not only that would um, live out the ideals and the, the basis of the gospel, but would be a community that would bear his name and reveal the image to the society around. This was a kingdom community. And when we moved, um, ooh, 2008, nine years ago to Cardiff to help plant this church um, with a group of about 18 guys from, from Nottingham. Our plan, our um, method was just to live lives with, live our life with those around us on our street. We really felt called to our street where we lived, our, our physical neighbours, the guys that lived next door to us, across the road from us. We just effectively poured our lives into theirs. We helped them and they helped us. We shared pressure washers, we shared cars, babysitting, school drop-offs, pickups, tools, advice. We grieved with each other. Our neighbors, when they were going through tough times, they grieved with us when we were going through tough times. I was just remembering actually a story of my dad died about three years ago and I can remember getting back after the funeral and I came into our kitchen and there was a massive cake on the side and it just said, Happy Monday. It was the Monday after the funeral. I was like, oh. That's incredible, and it tasted fantastic. And sometimes what you need is cake. Like, oh, cake. Well, I've distracted myself now. But it's just that, that time that actually people would have a key to your house, they could come in, they could make a cake, they could leave it for you, and you could eat it. That'd be fantastic. And it was. And uh, to be honest, one of the, some of the greatest pain in leaving Cardiff and moving down to Cornwall is leaving our family on the street. It's our neighbours. They've become some of our closest friends. Um, so why did we do this? This wasn't a project or a strategy. It was the outworking of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives and the things that we'd learned about the kingdom of letting people into our lives, the, the good stuff and the bad stuff, to demonstrate the work of the Spirit in, in, in our lives, that it would overflow into theirs. So what does that look like for you? Who lives near you? Who does life near to where you are? Because you can get caught in a trap where you only choose your friends and speak to them. Or maybe you'll just speak to people in your small group or just speak to your Christian friends at church or people in the CU. Or, um, but the beauty of planting a church is the, the journey that we're gonna, are going on is that you're continually asked the question. I was asked just on the day that our for sale board went up, why are you moving and where are you moving to? I was like, well... There's the opportunity right there. Do I say, well, do you know what? We just fancied a nice life in Cornwall. Or do we say, actually, do you know what? This is going to sound crazy. But we feel that we're going to go and start a church like this thriving community of Cardiff Vineyard down in Falmouth. And we'd love to see people thrive in their relationship with Jesus that are just nowhere at the moment. And that's a big conversation to have with a guy that just thinks he's putting up your for sale board. 
but it's, it's a constant opportunity to talk about what God is doing in your life. We blend our faith into all our conversations. Um, things like, okay, so I, I don't know what you say on a Monday when you get into uh, uni or when you get into work. Like, what did you get up to at the weekend? You've got that choice in that question of saying, oh, it's church. Or you could say, do you know what we had an inc- well, I'd love it if you said, we had an incredible night at church last night. Do you know what? The speaker was so profound, some truth. <laughs> Life completely transformed, upside down, changed, just... And they'll probably see it in you, to be fair. But <laughs> there's, an, there's a choice, isn't there? There's so many little choices where we can choose to share our faith or what Jesus has done in our situation over the, over just even just over the weekend. Um, so what you see in Acts 2 is an organic community so transformed by the gospel and empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit that it naturally spills out into those around them. So people were constantly coming to know Jesus. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were saved. Yeah, 3,000 at the beginning, but it didn't stop there. The Lord added together daily, added to their number daily those who were being saved. The gospel, this good news of Jesus, is radical and it's contagious. And it's urgent. Then if you've had, I've had this sense of urgency this week. I don't know if it's good. My, um, I got my mum texted me to say my grand's not very well, and I was like, oh, there's there's that urgency of the gospel when people don't know Jesus when they get later in life, and you're like, you need to meet Jesus. This is a life and death situation. This is an eternity situation here. I need to be able to tell you about who Jesus is and why he has transformed my life and how he's done that. It's contagious, this good news of the gospel. We need to hear it, and we need to let those around us hear it as well. Our lives, how we act, our language, our attitudes, all needs to communicate the gospel. But if you're a follower of Jesus here this this evening, sometimes we can use the whole, well, my life is the gospel, I don't need to use words, as a bit of a cop-out. It's a Francis of Assisi attributed quote, but all I've read online this week seems to say he didn't say it. Sorry to burst your bubble on that. But... It can be a bit of a cop-out. I love, so if you carry on in John 15, uh, verse, let's read the whole thing about the Holy Spirit. Just for John 15, verse 26, where so when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So the Spirit testifies about who Jesus is. But you also must testify, for you have been with me from this beginning. If you know who Jesus is, your duty, your calling, your privilege is to share that as well. Another one. Turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 14. I love this passage. It just says this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, are the bringer of the most incredible news. And sometimes we forget just how incredible the news is. Back to my notes. Uh, My heart and my desire, my hope and my prayer is for our community here and the new community that we're going to be starting that would have at its core the good news of Jesus would constantly be sharing why Jesus is so important to us. And then not just that, we'll be constantly seeking the Holy Spirit. 
would be constantly inviting him into our lives. We're constantly inviting him into our meetings to change us, as Job prayed earlier, to transform us, to reveal to us the things in our lives that need to be stripped away. I long for people, so many people searching for Jesus that this place can't cope with the numbers. I pray that we would have times when we can't do the amount of baptisms that we want to because the birthing pool can't, won't keep up with the pace. Like, wouldn't that just be incredible? That the, the, the neighborhood would hear the sound of our worship just because of the crazy overflow from this building. That's my desire, that the kingdom would break in in such power through us gossiping the contagious gospel, that the whole area around, not just this location, but wherever you are based, they would hear the good news as well. So should we stand? We can't just talk about the Holy Spirit. can't just talk about being transformed and following Jesus and not do anything about it. So if you've been here before, you might be familiar with this, but I assume there are some new guys out there as well. So at the end of each service, we just have the opportunity to wait on God. And this might feel weird. If this is your first time here, it might feel a bit weird that there would be silence and we would expect God to speak to us. So just push in, okay? And I'm not doing anything crazy. We're just inviting the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to pray. And then just, it, just an opportunity to push into what God is doing and invite him into our lives. So you can do this personally, and I'm going to pray as well, but... Lord God, we just thank you that you're already here. And we bless your name. And Lord, we thank you for the words of God. We thank you for the words in the scripture where we see you revealed. We thank you for the gift of the Bible. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. You don't leave us as orphans. You pour out your spirit on us. And Lord God, would you just come now? Would we feel more of your presence in the room, Lord God? Would we know more of your will in our life? 